Welcome to the Rock Podcast. Through our study through the lives of the kings of Israel and Judah, we find godly lives to imitate and wicked ones to avoid at all cost. Here in chapter 8 of 2 Kings, another two kings have to learn the hard way. Now, let's join Pastor Ross in a study called Two Losers. Alrighty, good evening. Let's get started. We're going to dive in and pick up where we left off. Here in 2 Kings chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8, uh, we always recall that the New Testament says that the Old Testament was written for us uh, to teach us the fullness of the gospel, and so we look forward to what we're going to learn tonight. Uh, let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we're before you now, and you've brought our lives together, you have ordain this moment. You predestined us to be here at this time and place. You have an encouraging word for us and uh, two lives that really were lived poorly, but we can learn a lot from them. We thank you, Lord, for this time together, and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Second Kings chapter 8, starting at verse 16. Why don't we just dive right in? Starting at verse 16 to 19. In the fifth year of Joram, son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done for he married a daughter of Ahab. That would Ahab and Jezebel, right? And their daughter, this is who he married. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He had promised to maintain a lamp for David and his descendants forever. So let's pause there. And if you're taking notes, number one would be a foolish son, a foolish son. Now, Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verse 25, Solomon wrote about a foolish son. He brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. Now, this is interesting because this new king of Judah that we're going to be talking about, Jehoram, is Solomon's great, great, great grandson. So removed three times. He is indeed foolish because verse 18 says, he did it, he walked in the ways of the king, kings of Israel, which is not a compliment. They were all bad. Now, uh, let's get some context, all right? So back in the early days, called the monarchy period, it's when uh, King, actually, Israel was one nation, and it was under King Saul was the first king. But he was kind of a poser king. He wasn't really a true king. He was um, kind of an imposter. And so then uh, the Lord had his way, and there was King 
David. And uh, under King David's rule, I have a map. So back in the day, here, the red is what Israel currently has now. And uh, the black is where they were back in David's time. Now, then the, the kingdom divided, you'll recall, right? They just split. And Israel became, uh, 10 tribes became Israel. And two tribes, really one and then two tribes totally became Judah, all right? And it's called Judea there. Uh, and there's the line there. So, so what happened was recorded in First uh, Kings chapter 11. Here's what happened and why it got split. Now, when Solomon's heart went astray, uh, the Lord sent this prophet, Ahijah, to uh, one of Solomon's officers. And you'll recall, uh, his name was Jeroboam. And uh, you'll recall the story. He tore his robe, Jeroboam, the officer's robe, into to 12 pieces. And he gave him 10 of those pieces. And he said, here, the Lord is going to tear Israel and divide them up and give you most of Israel. One of Solomon's subordinates uh, is going to take 10 tribes and going to be the new king of Israel. But uh, Solomon and Solomon's descendants would still get to reign over Judah. And so the nation was divided. I have that verse for you in 1 Kings chapter 11. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped other gods and have not walked in my ways, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my statutes and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. So Ahijah is speaking, the Lord is speaking through Ahijah to Jeroboam, who is Solomon's kind of officer, all right? But he says, listen, you're going to be the new king. I'm going to give you Solomon's kingdom. But Solomon and his, uh, I'll pick up, I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who observed my commands and statutes. I will take the kingdom from Solomon's hands and give you 10 tribes. I will give one tribe to Solomon so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. Now, that's just exactly what you read about the lamp remaining uh, in Israel, in Judah there. And so just to give you some context there. So here, this will help the chart. Let me bring the chart up. Not the map, but the chart. There we go. All right, on the left, you're going to see... Here's the dude that Ahijah was just prophesying to. All right, so before this, it was just David and Solomon. All right, then the Lord said, okay, I'm splitting the nation into two. And he told Jeroboam, you're going to get 10. 10 tribes is going to be called Israel. And these are now the kings of Israel that descend from him. There are about five different dynasties. They're not all related to each other. They're five different families going on there. All right, so uh, this is going all the way down to 722 BC when Assyria will come in and and take them all, the 10 tribes away, all right? And, And so you'll see they're all disobedient. They're all evil. Nothing good comes out of Israel. So when it says, now we're talking about, he just introduced this guy. This is our guy in our text, right? So he said, uh, Jehoram walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. 
So not very complimentary there, right? So, uh, okay, so now you see here, we've been, we've been studying all of these. We've gone all the way, way down. Now, Rehoboam is bio to Solomon and David. He's the son. He's the heir. These are all relatives. This is one dynasty, David's family, because God promised David, from your body will come a king that will reign forever and ever. And he said, so he's telling us in this text, let's talk about this dude. He was bad, Jehoram. He was bad. But for the sake of David, he keeps the line going. And all of them are related to each other. And then from this year, this is year um, 563 BC. So they survive a little bit longer. Then Babylon comes in and removes them for 70 years or so. Some of them come back. And, but the deal is, is that Matthew will tell you that 14 generations from Zedekiah comes Jesus. So Matthew chapter 1 starts out. I've got the verse for you. Matthew 1. Somewhere back there. That's okay. That's pretty easy. It just, yeah, there it is. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. You see, so he... The Lord said, from David's body, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he promised David, you are going to be the progenitor of the Messiah who will reign on the throne forever and ever. And so you see, we're, we're going through the book of Kings, which just kind of outlines the promise that God made to David and trace that through. Uh, the fulfillment of this scripture is in the next verse here, Gabriel talking to Mary in, in Luke. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So somewhat, you know, probably 20, uh, 14, 28 generations. But they're related all the way down to Jesus through Mary, blood, and interestingly, through Joseph as well. I mean, God lined it up even though he's not the bio dad. But the promise goes through Joseph and Mary. Just amazing. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Anyway, <laughs> he will reign over the house of, this means Israel. He, he got his name changed to Israel uh, forever. His kingdom will never end. And so that, that's what you're seeing right here is, is that your text says basically... Even though, back to the chart for me, with the list of, yeah. Even though this dude, we're going to talk about him and his bad boy son. They're both bad, even though they had a good father. All right? Grandfather for Ahaziah, father for Je- Jehoram, right? He's, he just said in your text, even though this guy was totally evil and walked in Ahab's ways, all of these evil ways, for the sake of my servant David, he kept a lamp going. In other words, there was always a ray of hope that the Messiah would come if you saw one of David's relatives on the throne. And and even though it was only in Judah and Jerusalem, uh, he still said this was uh, going to happen and going to be uh, fulfilled. 
Okay, so it says, uh, nevertheless, true to his promise, God kept the line preserved, and, and he's going to enter the human race as the Savior, come hell or high water. So it just didn't matter. So one commentator says this about uh, this whole idea, that God would come and be related to a guy like uh, Jehoram. Jehoram is a mess. He's evil. But he's the ancestor of Jesus. All the bad guys. Because God promised David, come hell or high water, he's going to intervene. He's going to become one of us. And he identified with us in his humanity. That's why he's the perfect mediator. Because he's 100% human and 100% God. So he could lay down his life. And in his humanness, he's related to David. That one commentator said... That God would become one of us and be biologically related on his human side to such evil men as Jehoram. It gives a whole new meaning to grace, mercy, love, and a great appreciation for the concept of the Old Testament kinsman redeemer. Now, we don't, we don't talk about kinsman redeemers in, the, in our language, but a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament was a blood relative who was allowed to legally bail out his bankrupt relative from all their troubles. And so Jesus just became one of us. And this is the story of the lives through whom the Messiah comes. It just, it's a beautiful story. So back to bad boy uh, Jehoram, all right? Back to your verse, verse 18, tells you the extent of Jehoram's evil. And perhaps it's the cause of his waywardness. It says that Jesus' ancestor here, Jehoram, walked in the ways of the wicked kings of Israel, like Ahab, points out Ahab, for he married into the family. Now, uh, if you look at the chart one more time, I really like charts. Let me, let, let, let me show you what he did. Ahab and Jezebel had a daughter, and he... And that daughter's name is Athaliah. And Jehoshaphat went ahead and tried to hook up the kingdoms by marrying Jehoram to Athaliah. Jezebel Jr., that's Athaliah. Now, if you're sharp, you've noticed a couple down, there's Athaliah. Well, guess what happens? When Jehoram, her husband, and her son... Ahaziah, die prematurely, she kills all the male heirs and she announces that she's queen. And she reigns for eight years until they find the infant heir who was only, she managed to kill all the heirs except one auntie saved the little heir, a little boy, stashed him away in the temple and they guarded him for eight years and when it was eight years old they pulled him out and to the queen mother and said he's the heir and I don't want to tell you what happened to her but it wasn't pretty <laughs> alright so so uh, can you if she would have killed little Joash the heir the whole thing's over the promise is gone by one heartbeat God kept that one heartbeat. That's just amazing to me. I mean, I just could, yeah. So uh, he married her, her, and then she ends up being the queen after they both 
uh, die prematurely. Okay, no more with the chart. All right, so that's who, the, the, uh, he married into the family and it was not good. Now, the big lesson here is what, what does the Bible say about ungodly partnerships? Because he married in and, and it, you know, we do that. We, we marry in and you don't have to just have the marriage to partner uh, or to expose yourself or to associate your life with something that's going to pull you down morally. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. I have it for you on the screen. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Come on, Jehoshaphat. What were you thinking for your boy? Jehoshaphat was a good king. And, and he just thought, you know, peace at any cost. And so he took his boy and married to Jezebel Jr., Don't be yoked together. Don't partner with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? This is the New Testament. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial is another word for Satan. What does the devil and, and God have in common? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? That's a really good question to ask when young people are so attracted. Young Christian people. So attracted to somebody who doesn't even pray over their meals. And the Bible's asking you, what do you even have in common? Just because somebody's attractive doesn't mean that you should partner with them. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we're the temple of the living God. God's inside of us. And God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore... Come out from them and be separate. doesn't mean go live in a monastery, but it means there should be some healthy distance between our heart associations uh, with unbelief and sin and, and evil. Touch no unclean thing and I'll receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. This is an important key uh, that uh, Jehoram and his son and, and everybody else did not uh, seem to honor. So you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says. It says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And the reason Paul prefaces that with don't be deceived is because we think we can hang out with just about anybody and we'll be the missionary in the in the. Um, Equation in the relationship. But you will always be pulled down because that's what the Bible says. Bad company corrupts good morals. And that's exactly what happened. So despite Jehoram's uh, spiritual moral bankruptcy, uh, God honors the covenant with David and his family. Continuing on, 20 through 24. Now, in the time of this Jehoram, all right, he's king of Judah, the south, right? Edom rebelled against Judah and set up its own king. So Jehoram went to Zaire uh, with all his chariots. The Edomites surrounded him and his chariot commanders, but he rose up and broke through by night. His army, however, fled back home. Uh, To this day, Edom has been in rebellion against Judah. Libna revolted at the same time. As for the other events in Jehoram's reign, 
and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? That's a book that we don't have. Um, Jehoram rested with his fathers and was buried with them in the city of David, and Ahaziah, his son, succeeded him as king. And that, we're going to read about how that went. Now, uh, just, just to show you, the kingdom of Edom, they're in the south here. This is the Dead Sea. So south of that, in, in what is really Saudi Arabia, now in southern Israel, and a little bit of Jordan, modern day. So they were subjugated under King David, and they were paying tribute, and they were getting along, and they were fine. But under Jehoram, because of his sin and rebellion, the Lord uh, allowed them to become rebellious. They, they said, hey, we have our own king, and now they're a hostile threat. Thank you for that picture. So if you're taking notes number two, I, I would say a sad ending for a foolish son. So this is how he comes to uh, the end. And it's always a sad ending when you rebel against the Lord. So God may mercifully preserve the line of David, uh, but it doesn't mean he's not going to punish them or chastise them. And so here are some natural consequences of rebellion to God. But listen, God is always going to bring trouble to wayward children so that in that turning up the heat, uh, they will turn back to him and repent. Every time God chastises a, a believer, he does so in love. It's not a, a punishment per se. It's a chastisement. It's more of a correction. It's like turning up the heat to correct and to draw that person back in love. And it's more redeeming than anything else. And so the, uh, your verses tell you that the foreign powers rise and gain the upper hand. And, and sort of this is how God deals with nations that betray him. He just raises up uh, a power to teach them a lesson. And... Uh, Disinteresting timing on all of that. Okay, moving on, verse 20. I guess you didn't catch what I was talking about. That's okay. The United States of America uh, was founded mostly by Christians. And if you go to Washington, D.C., you'll just see Bibles everywhere on every building and scriptures on every building. So we've come a long way from that to where if you say, God bless you in the school, you will lose a letter grade or you will be suspended. I don't know if you read about that one. I just caution you not to read about things like that so your, your blood pressure remains normal. <laughs> you cannot say God bless you in a lot of classrooms because you will be, uh, your grade will be deducted. Okay, and so God raises up foreign powers. And when those foreign powers threat, threaten and, you know, 9-11 happens... And then suddenly everybody's in church. The, the number one, the greatest attendance in churches nationwide was the Sunday following 9-11. Right? Well, yeah, we got one person excited about that. <laughs> All right, verse 20 says, Edom, Edom wants to now be a problem and a thorn in Israel's side. Verse 22 says, Libna, Libna's down by the Dead Sea. It's just a, a Canaanite 
town, city, that had been conquered, but now they're up and they're causing a lot of trouble. And they may be little, but they are lethal. And then uh, the Chronicles adds that a third power, the Philistines and the Arabian peoples, uh, launch a massive attack against this guy, Jehoram, and uh, all the way to Jerusalem. And it cost the king all his sons except Ahaziah, who's going to be the heir. All right, he wipes out all his boys. So you just kind of see this life, this guy's life falling apart, and seeing if he's going to turn. Yeah, but he he's hard-hearted. Uh, let me tell you, Second uh, Chronicles twenty-one tells you how he died. Um, Jehoram dies from a terrible plague that affects not only him but all of Judah. He died of a fatal intestinal disease. And in much pain, Second Chronicles 21, verse 19. Now, I, I see the Lord raising up foreign powers to chastise him. Turn, turn, turn. And then that doesn't work. And then, and then chronic illness and pain. Turn, turn, turn. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I do not delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their evil ways and live. That's the heart of the Lord. He's drawing this guy in. Come on, he gives him a long, chronic, painful illness. Come on, buddy. Come on. And he's trying to get him to turn. Did he repent? He had lots of motivation and lots of opportunity. We'll find out when we get there. Uh, Commentator Knapp put it this way about Jehoram. He is one of the most unlovely of all the kings of Judah, Exalted by Jehovah is what Jehoram means. But rather, he was, for his wickedness, thrust down to a dishonored grave. Let me show you what Chronicles says about his death. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 20. He passed away to no one's regret and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. So even the people said, you know what? He is a king, but we don't even recognize him as such. And so, how sad. He passed away to no one's regret. So at his funeral, no one cried. They were kind of relieved. And why? Because he had, uh, there was nothing to miss. There was no investment. Just a lot of trouble. All about him, 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 and Quite frankly, people were like, finally, he's gone. Uh, reminds me of the scene in um, Christmas Carol. It's one of my favorite Ebenezer Scrooge, you know. He's being shown a future shot of his life, right? And he sees this parade going downtown, and somebody's dancing, and he's happy, and they're singing a song. And so he starts to sing us along with the song until he finds out they're, they're singing on top of his casket and they're seeing thankfully he died and did us all a favor and so he stopped singing immediately (laughs) Um, but it just reminds me you know and then I think of someone whose life is filled with faith and good deeds Tabitha Acts chapter 9 all the ladies are gathered around Peter walks in the door And they're all crying. 
and showing him all the things that Tabitha had made for them. There was a reason to cry because she wasn't about herself. She was somebody who lived to help other people, to do good deeds. And when she was gone, you felt it. Good deeds. Well, uh, Jehoram's son, now what about him? Do you think he's learned now? Uh, Ahaziah, his name has just been introduced. And we've got one more paragraph. We'll finish up now. Do you think he learned from watching how his father died with the disease and the war and all the troubles all the time they're calling out to Baal because Athaliah loved Baal and introduced Baal once again as her mother Jezebel did. You see, did he learn? Well, let's see. 25 to the end and then we'll be done. In the 12th year of Joram, son of Ahab on the other side, now the king of Israel, Ahaziah, here's his heir, son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother's name was Athaliah. There it is. Do you know what that word means? It means afflicted by the Lord. So so Jezebel and Ahab named their daughter in their bitterness against God, seeing all our troubles are from the Lord and name their daughter that way. And then what a gift she was to her husband. <laughs> her mother's name was Athaliah, a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And Omri was Ahab's dad. He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab and did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this is this new son, right? As the house of Ahab had done. For he was related by marriage to Ahab's family. Yeah because he's the son, right? Ahaziah, this new king now, the 22-year-old, went with Uncle Joram, they're related by marriage, son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, Aram is Syria, at Ramoth Gilead. Now, the Syrians wounded Uncle Joram. So, uh, Joram returns to Jezreel, is halfway home, to recover from the wounds that the Syrians had afflicted upon him at Ramoth in his battle with Haziel, king of Syria. Then Ahaziah, king of Judah, our guy, our 22-year-old, went down to Jezreel to see Uncle Joram, all right, who is king of Israel because he had been wounded. All right, if you're taking notes, number three, another loser. All right, now... I I mean that in the sense of loss or forfeiture of something, not in a pejorative way. Uh, So short, sad life, but to the point, he reigns one year. He's 22, he's barely out of his teens, but the apple didn't fall very far from the tree. Uh, Now, um, it's great... Uh, he's our, Athaliah's name is mentioned here because the chronicles tell us that he's a real mama's boy. Uh, he, she's calling the shots. Dad's gone, so she's calling the shots. And uh, she is really in charge. Now, it's good to love your mama, right? We all need to honor our parents. But when your mom's a murderer and unrepented, it's time to draw the line in the sand. Uh, so, interesting to me, verse 27 in your text, uh, similar to his dad. 
He walks in the ways of the king of Israel, i.e. self-centered, godless, heathen, idol worshipers. <laughs> okay? And for, there it is, for he was related by marriage to them. Number one, his mother's one of them. It's Ahab and, and Jezebel's daughter is his mother. Right? And the current king now is of Israel is his uncle. All right? No fault of his own, right? But somewhere along the line, even though you're born into a family that's godless and doesn't honor God, you have to decide, am I going to throw my lot in with them or am I going to stand up for God and the truth? No matter what it will cost me and no matter who's pressuring me, be it my mother, my father, my, my wife, my husband, the president of the United States, whoever. I mean, you have to call your own shots there when it comes to uh, standing for truth. And Jesus said, whoever's on the side of truth listens to me. That's what he said to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate asked him about, is he a king? And he said, yeah, I, I testify to the truth. I am a king. And he said, what's well, truth? And he says, well, whoever is on the side of truth listens to me. And so here, here he is. So it's difficult if you're born into that kind of family, uh, but he needed the moral fiber to stand up to his evil uh, relatives and be his own man, but he followed suit. He could have stopped the madness. Listen, you may be disadvantaged by what kind of family you came into this world in, uh, but sooner or later, like I said, you have to decide. You have to decide, and God gives you the ability to reason, to evaluate, and then to make a change and to stop the craziness. So really self-explanatory here. Ahaziah uh, is going to join ranks with his uncle, uh, the king of Israel. So now you've got Israel and Judah together, even though Judah should not be with Israel, going together against the Syrians in the north. And, of course, that battle doesn't go very well. They're both calling on the name of Baal uh, to help them. And the, it just doesn't matter who you join forces with if, if the Lord's not on board, right? And so the Lord's not with them in this regard. And so uh, the Syrians uh, push them back. Secondly, the uncle, the king of Israel, now is seriously wounded by the Syrians, and he returns to Jezreel. It's kind of halfway home to recover. And then kind of an odd way of closing out the thought here, it says that our guy, Ahaziah, is going to go visit him in Jezreel, where his uncle is wounded. Now you have the king of Israel and the king of Judah together in one place. That's not smart, because that's easy, like, Two flies, you know, if you had a fly swatter and you were the Lord and you wanted to get rid of the two bad guys, <laughs> whack, you know. So that's what the writer's doing is setting you up to say that, listen, it's because of Ahaziah's bad alliance that brought him into the place where he's sympathizing with his uncle Nothing wrong with sympathizing with your uncle, but if your uncle's Hitler, you know, uh, you shouldn't be sympathizing with him. All right, so here's what the point is. 
His alliance with evil Uncle Joram is partly to blame for what's to come. Uh, It's saying, really, when you go to the wrong place at the wrong time to see the wrong person because of the wrong sympathies and misguided agendas, expect nothing good to come, which we'll read about next time in chapter 9, the nothing good part. So... Two paragraphs about two losers, I mean, they lose out. They had the opportunity at any time to repent and to find life and blessing in the Lord. So I wrote down here, what can I take away from the lives of two losers? And the answer is how to be a winner. How to be a winner. So, or how not to be a loser, right? So number one, don't partner with evil. And you can partner with evil by what's going in your earphones and what your eyes are open to. The Bible says, I think it's Job who said, I'll set no evil thing before me. You know, you don't have to marry it. You just have to have it hanging around you all day long. That's how you partner. So I I, I said, number one for me, don't partner with bad company. That's what these two guys did. When I read these stories, I say, what can I take away? I don't want to be like them. What did they do? So I see what they did. They didn't care about moral boundaries. They thought, hey, you know, Athaliah, house of Ahab, who cares? Look what happened. Number two, and finally, uh, take a stand for God um, and truth, no matter who's pressuring you or the potential cost for doing so. It's hard. It's hard to do the right thing in this world. There's a lot of pressure to compromise. You'll never be blessed for moral compromise. You'll always be blessed for standing uh, strong for the Lord. I said finally, but there's always one extra one, right? And if you lose your way, and we all have seasons where our hearts get hard and we're not close with the Lord. There may be some people here today who either don't even know the Lord yet or, you know, everything looks good on the outside, but, you know, there's some distance and you're doing stuff that's stupid and wrong and sinful. When God turns up the heat like he did for these two guys, take the advantage of the motivation that those hardships are saying to you. Bow the knee change your mind, do a 180, and turn to the Lord. That's what hardships are sent into our lives to do, to refine us, to help us with the hard work of repenting and to bowing and surrendering our will to his will. So when God turns up the heat a little bit and says, man, what are you doing over here? You can't have 80% faithfulness and 20% not. And he turns up the heat and you feel a little bit of that. Use it. Bow the knee. Surrender. Confess your sins to the Lord. Turn to him and he'll bless you. That's something they refuse to do. And it's something I will always do because I look vicariously through them. I'm not going to end up like that. I'm going to look at leaders who are godly and do and act as they did. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we look at these two lives. They had great potential and great opportunity and a wonderful God who loved them and 
wanted them to succeed, but they kept making bad choices. And we understand how that goes, God. We are, as the hymn writer put it, prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And so, Father, we pray that we would uh, learn through watching their lives how to please you and walk the straight and narrow path which leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.